you've probably heard the name Corrie ten Boom, rather famous writer. She was a Dutch watchmaker, and along with her family, her father Casper and her sister Betsy, during World War II, they were hiding Jews who were trying to escape the Holocaust, hiding them in their home. It was February 1944 when they were betrayed by a friend and found out, arrested, thrown into concentration camps. Casper died not too long after that, Betsy a couple years later. But somehow, Corey Temboom survived. She was even in one of the worst camps of all, Ravensbrück. And yet there she found the opportunity to trust God in the midst of a deplorable and horrible situation. She said this, There is no pit so deep that God's love is not still deeper. What an amazing thought. So appropriate for us today. And she also said, Worry does not empty tomorrow of sorrows. It empties today of strength. I think one of the greatest problems all of us are facing today is the fear of the unknown and worry for today. And Jesus has a lot to say about worry. Imagine yourself with Jesus and his disciples going up onto the mount that we sometimes now call uh, the Mount of the Beatitudes or where the Sermon on the Mount was delivered, arguably the best sermon ever preached. You're there with the disciples as Jesus sits on the ground and begins to teach you what is essentially his Christian manifesto, what is the epitome and the essence of his teaching, the heart of it, as we find it in uh, three chapters in Matthew. He talks about the Beatitudes, how to be happy. He talks about his morality being deeper than just mere surface obedience to, to commands and regulations. And he talks about handling worry. Go with me to Matthew chapter 6. And in Matthew chapter 6, we're going to hear Jesus talk about worry. This is the section that Pastor Doug read. The section that Melissa mentioned, even though none of that was planned. Here we have the opportunity to ground our faith on the word of God in the midst of these troublesome times. The Bible tells us, this is Matthew chapter 6, verse 24. No one can serve two masters. Either you will hate the one and love the other, or you will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. Therefore, I tell you, do not worry. In this section of about 10 verses, that phrase is repeated three times. Do not worry. Do not worry. Little children, do not worry. It's interesting that it starts out in verse 25 with a word therefore. It's a conclusion. Jesus has been teaching about something that is vitally important. It gives us the context in which we might be able to get rid of fear. And I think that context is wonderfully expressed in verse 24. You can't serve two masters. You will hate one, love the other, be devoted to one, despise the other. 
By the way, there's not a first and second place. There's a first and last place. You accept one and you reject the other. You cannot serve both God and money or material things. And so Jesus is telling us that that our decision here, our choice here between these two very vital and important alternatives is going to affect the way we live. It's going to affect our behavior in the midst of difficult times. And so he says, in light of this, you believers, choose God and don't worry. There's a contrast here in this portion of scripture too. If you look down to verse 32, for the pagans run after all of these things. We'll describe them in a moment. But verse 33 says, you believers, you followers of me, Jesus says, seek first the kingdom. Now in both of those verses, there's the word seek. Same original Greek word, a little more intensified in verse 32. Pagans are those who live their lives without God and they are seeking certain material, physical things. It's like the essence of their life. Or they're seeking something that will give them satisfaction and significance and power But in contrast to that, you who follow me, Jesus said, you seek the kingdom of God. All humans are seekers. We're seeking for something to give us value, a reason to get up in the morning, something to live for, to explain our existence. We're not merely floating through life like a feather on the wind. We have ambition and goals. They may be no higher than, I want to please myself, But that is the way many people live. And so here the scripture is telling us that we need to make a choice again. If we choose God as our God and not material things, then that's going to affect the way we live and we will seek his kingdom instead of seeking all these other things in a secondary fashion. There is a key word that I think that helps unlock this passage. I'll bring it up in just a moment as we look at the contrast. But what about this forbidden worry? What makes worry so weak? The weakness of worry. Let me describe it with three words that seem to go along with the teaching of Jesus. The first is that worry is thoughtless. Jesus says in verse 25, I tell you, don't worry about your life what you will eat or drink, or your body, what you will wear. Is not life more important than food? Think about that. And the body, is it not more important than clothes? Consider that. And then in verse 26, he says, look at the birds of the air. Consider them. You see, worry is thoughtless because we don't understand how important life is. We're only caught up with what we take into this body and what we put on this body instead of the real significance and value and importance of life beyond the mere body and the mere things that we need to to exist with. You see, Jesus is not forbidding thought. The old translation was, take no thought of the morrow. And that has led to a lot of misunderstanding. Jesus is not saying, don't think. He's not saying, don't have thoughts or even forethought in planning for tomorrow. He's saying, get rid of anxious 
thoughts. Worry is thoughtless. We, we focus on what isn't important and we forget what is vital and truly important. The fact that God has made us and has destined us for a purpose beyond this life. That the things of this life are temporal and our soul is eternal. And that's why he says you're more valuable than the birds or the flowers. Because you will last forever. It's interesting how our society puts so much emphasis on what we eat and what we wear. The whole fashion industry is focused on clothing And I'm not against restaurants or even good food, but sometimes we take it to the point where that is the most important thing in our lives, what we drink, what we eat, and what we wear. Much of that is gone today. People are thinking more about the necessities of life than the luxuries of life. You see, trials boil us down to the basics. Get us back thinking about those things that are vitally important and the real issues of life that go beyond mere living and existence in this world. So remember this, worry is thoughtless. And how about this? Worry is useless. It doesn't work. Verse 27. Who of you by worrying can add a single hour to your lifespan? It's a very interesting phrase. In fact, it's difficult to translate in the original. It could mean who can add a cubit to their stature. But a cubit is about 18 inches, and that seems almost a little ridiculous to think that by worrying you could add 18 inches uh, to uh, your height. So it probably means the idea of adding a little more time to life. But worry doesn't work. I'm sure you've heard that people say that 80% of what we worry about doesn't happen, and the other 20% of worrying about it doesn't make any difference. We think about these things, we worry about them, but it doesn't change reality. It's a useless activity, non-productive. Our worries often never materialize. I like what John Stott has to say about this. If our fear does not materialize we have worried once for nothing if it does materialize we have worried twice instead of once in both cases it's foolish for worry doubles trouble we spend all this energy worrying about things when it doesn't even work it is useless You can worry yourself to death, but you can't worry yourself to life. It's interesting as we think about the subject of worry. uh, I have a quote from Dr. Charles Mayo, the founder of the famous clinic in Rochester, Minnesota. He said, worry affects the circulation, the heart, the glands, and the whole nervous system. I've never met or known a person to die of overwork, but I have known a lot of people who died of worry. Not only does it not work, it has horrible consequences. Or this from a doctor from Johns Hopkins University. We do not know why it is that worriers die sooner than the non-worriers, but it is a fact. (laughs) So it doesn't work. 
Jesus said, think about the birds. Here's a very good earthy illustration. They do not sow or reap, verse 26. They don't store away in barns, yet your heavenly Father feeds them. And aren't you more valuable than they are? The birds become our teachers. Now, Jesus is not saying that we don't have a responsibility to work to gain our food. In fact, no one works harder than a sparrow for their living. They will make a nest. They will migrate at the right season, incubate their eggs, feed their young. They work very hard. The ant stores up for bad weather. Jesus is not saying that we don't have a responsibility in our work. He's saying that that should not lead to anxious worry because God the provider is behind it all for those who believe in him. So look at the birds. They don't go about with anxious worry. And apparently, they know that God is taking care of them. You may have heard the old ditty, said the robin to the sparrow, I would really like to know why these anxious human beings rush about and worry so. Said the sparrow to the robin, well, I think that it must be that they have no heavenly father such as cares for you and me. The one problem about that little poem is that the text doesn't say that the birds have a heavenly father. It says that we do. And we should live differently than mere animals. How about the flowers of the field? Jesus said in verse 30, verse 28, why do you worry about clothes? See how the lilies of the field grow. And maybe it's referring to uh, the poppies uh, or the beautiful wildflowers that you find on the northern shore of the Sea of Galilee. They're gorgeous, scarlet red, wonderful purple. But they bloom only for a short time. They don't labor or spin, Jesus said. Yet I tell you that not even Solomon in all his splendor was clothed like one of these. So let the flowers and the birds teach us that even beauty and provision come from the God who loves us. And we shouldn't be caught up in all of these other things. By the way, the Bible tells us that sparrows aren't worth much, and yet one can't fall to the ground without the Father seeing it. And these flowers live for a short period of time, and then they're thrown into the fire. In in that area of the Holy Land, they had clay ovens, and to get them hot quickly, they would throw dry grass or wildflowers in to get the fire burning hot. So even birds have trouble. They fall from the the air and die, and the flowers are short-lived and then used for fuel in the fire. And yet... There is this sense of rest in the one who created them instead of being filled with anxious worry. Once a father said to his son, the biggest problem you're going to face in life are those that never come. They're the fears of your own heart that never materialize. So the weakness of worry is seen in that it is thoughtless and useless useless. And how about this? Faithless. We forget that our heavenly father feeds the birds. We forget that our 
heavenly father clothes the flowers. We forget that there is a God in heaven. Notice verse 32, the pagans. That is, well, they may have some false gods, but these are basically people who live without God in their life, the true God, to rest in him and to follow him. They intensely seek, they run after all of these things. What things? Verse 31, what shall we eat? What shall we drink? What shall we wear? Those are the most important things. They're engrossed in them. The pursuit of life is all about them. That's what the pagans are seeking because they're godless. But verse 33 says, the godly should seek first the kingdom of God. Since we're all seekers, the goal, the God of our life, determines how we're going to live. And if we live with worry, it's as though we're telling the world there is no God who takes care of us, no God who loves us. The trinity of the world's cares, what we eat, what we drink, what we wear, dominates way too many believers. And apparently God said, Let's stop that and let's allow a situation that drives everyone back to what is really important. And this is not the time for us to worry. This is the time for us to trust, to put our faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. There's a saying among the rabbis, if he who has a loaf of bread in his basket and asks, what shall I eat tomorrow? is a person of little faith. That's mentioned in the scriptures here. Why do you worry? The flowers are thrown into the oven the next day. Don't be like those who are filled with worry. Oh, you of little faith, verse 30. If a little bit of faith can move a mountain, faith like a mustard seed, then when we are called people of little faith, it must be that it's almost non-existent. You see, fear is not our native land. Faith is. We were designed by God for him, hardwired to trust him. And when we live like the pagans live, the consequence is a life filled with anxious worry. The consequence is a life shortened because of stress and care. The consequence is we lose peace. Great peace have they who love thy law, and nothing can offend them. Psalm 119, 165. So now let's focus on some positive things that we can do from this portion of Scripture. Let's look at the freedom that faith gives. Not freedom from the responsibility to work. Not freedom from helping others who need our help and providing for them sharing with them the things that God has given to us, but freedom from anxious care. How do we get into that place of the freedom of faith? Number one, focus on your heavenly father. We've already mentioned that. He's called the heavenly father in verse 26. He's called the heavenly father in verse 32. Remember in chapter six, there is the Lord's prayer. Our father who art in heaven what a wonderful perspective. He knows, verse 32, what you need, even before you ask. And he cares 
verse 26, because you are valuable to him. The Lord's Prayer teaches us to unload all of our burdens upon him. 1 Peter 5, 7, cast all your care upon him because he cares for you. Let me remind you again of that great quote from Corey Ten Boom, there is no pit so deep that God's love is not deeper still. It's time for you and I to plummet the depths as far as we can go in the vast sea, the infinite sea of God's love for us. You are valuable to him. He loves you and he cares for you. It's Luke 12 that talks about this same portion of the Sermon on the Mount where Jesus said, do not fear, little flock, for it's the Father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. He's happy and glad to give you every blessing that will enrich your life. Oswald Chambers said, calculating life without God is the source of all of our worries. So how do I get rid of this anxious fear, this worry that debilitates and, and hurts my walk with God and hurts my own physical life? Well, first of all, I focus on the fact that I have a heavenly father that cares for me more than the birds and more than the flowers because I'm valuable to him. So valuable he sent his son to die for my sin. So valuable that the son is praying for me right now to get through this situation and praying for you. So valuable that he allows us to call him Abba, Father. Secondly, focus on his kingdom. Now here's where the key word comes in. Look at verse 33. But seek first protos. That word we use in the English, prototype, the very first. But it means first of importance. Not just the first thing you do, but the most important thing is the first thing you do. First. This whole section is about priorities. You can't worship God in money, so make your first priority God. You've got to be concerned about material things. He's not saying you shouldn't, but first, value spiritual things. Material things will soon be gone. Spiritual things last forever. The key word is to prioritize your life around the things of God instead of paganizing your life around the things of this world. And when God is first in your thoughts and you know he's your heavenly father, when it's his kingdom you want to promote and eternity, then you'll see that a lot of the difficulties that happen in this world are used ultimately to advance his kingdom. Best example is the cross. Jesus died on the cross, horrible death, so that the world might be saved. You and I are going through a horrible time. Why? There must be some purpose. All things work together for good to those who love God, to those who are the called according to his purpose. So let's not worry during this time. Let's look to him in trust. The one who made us is able to sustain us. Let's not worry and stock up on things to the point where our neighbor can't even get paper towels. Oh, we need them, but let's trust God. Focus on his kingdom and his work. Isaiah 26, 3. 
You will keep him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on you because he trusts in you. There may be greater sins, but few sins are so debilitating as worry is. Worry stunts our spiritual growth, breaks our fellowship with the Father, and cuts off the line of witness and connection to those that don't know God around us. So let's look to him. Well, there's one other focus I want to mention. We focus on our Heavenly Father. We focus on his kingdom. And we focus on today. Look at verse 34. Therefore, don't worry about tomorrow. For tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has trouble of its own. Isn't that interesting? Jesus didn't say life following him would eliminate trouble and problems. He says every day has its own trouble. Just don't borrow from tomorrow. So freedom from worry doesn't mean freedom from difficulty. It means freedom from the worry. It means freedom from anxiety. It means wonderful peace in the Lord. There's a great story told of the filming in 1959 of that classic movie, Ben-Hur. The novel was written by Lou Wallace. The movie won 11 Oscars. And one of the Oscars went to the director, William Wilder, best director. But there was a young actor in that movie by the name of Charlton Heston. He was given the role of Judah Ben-Hur. It was known that William Wilder was a, a tough director. He didn't give a lot of direction. At the same time, it was not easy to please him. One time he said to Charlton Heston, your acting is inadequate. Heston said, what can I do? Wilder said, do better. And that's all the direction he gave him. During the famous chariot race scene, Charlton Heston had a rough time controlling the horses and the chariot. He worked hard and, and thought he finally could control him, but he came to the director and said, Mr. Wilder, I, I think I can, I can lead the horses and direct the horses, but I'm not sure I can win the race. To which Wilder says, you just stay in the race. I'll make sure you win. And that's what the Lord says to us. You just keep trusting me. I'll make sure you're blessed. I'll take care of you. Don't worry. Whenever I have sorrow, whenever clouds arise, when songs give place to sighing, when hope within me dies, I draw the closer to him. From care he sets me free. For his eye is on the sparrow, and I know he watches me. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we turn our hearts to you. And we're so glad that we can call you our Heavenly Father. Fear is vanquished in your presence. And as we trust you, you never said we won't have trouble. Every day has its trouble but you will guide us and keep us and take us through for your glory. 
And someday, when it is time for us to be called home, perhaps we'll see the reason for it all. But we long to hear those wonderful words, well done, good and faithful servant. And a faithful servant is one devoted to you, focused on you, trusting you, seeking to advance your kingdom, and taking every day, one day at a time. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.